I don't think anyone's going to respond because this is a vocal recording, but... It's just that underground scene. It's it's unreal. It's something my brother-in-law. No, you can't, but there's more. He comes up to you and he's like, name the bass player, you know. <laughs> we have seen at least the shadow of a black hole. Tentpole, like, that show was insane. <laughs> that was, that was amazing. This is the Brain Bosch Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Mosh Podcast. My name is Dryden, here with my co-host, Bretto. Hey, guys. How's it going? And uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm incredibly excited about this episode. Uh, for the sake of irony, though, I think I'm going to let Bretto uh, actually announce what we're talking about today because it's it was, it was my idea, and I'm definitely more excited about it than he is. But I'm going to let him feign some excitement and uh, excitedly announce what we're talking about today. No. Bretto, <laughs> take it away. To be fair, I'm pretty excited about it too. But uh, okay, okay, cool. Today's topic of conversation is uh, Vikings and Viking metal. Vikings, <laughs> Vikings and Viking metal. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's a surprising it's a surprisingly strong field in the international metal community. The whole Viking metal scene, um, Viking themes and motifs have been very present in all genres of metal since you know at least the 90s as we will as we will dive more into later but um yeah you know it kind of goes hand in hand with the whole scandinavian music scene you know heavy metal as we know it today is by and large dominated by scandinavian bands and musicians so it only makes sense that you know viking themes and viking mythology and viking history would creep in there somewhere um but before we jump into that we have to go through, you know, the ritual intro. So, Bretto, what have you been jamming to lately? Lately, I've been listening to a fair amount of Sanction, and so that hits that satisfying my metal need. And now, currently, I'm also listening to a little bit of uh, rap. Listen to some The Baby, which is he's surprisingly really good. I don't know, just because. Also, okay. I think his name's kind of dumb, but he has some <laughs> good songs, even though they can be kind of repetitive. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to our podcast has had to tolerate some bad band names in the past. So, um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I at least well, okay. Before before I say what I've been jamming to lately, the one thing that I will say about hip hop, well, actually, I'll say this about every genre except for metal, is at least in every other genre, you can always read the artist name on the album cover. Like that's not always the yeah. case with metal <laughs> albums. Like I'm no. pretty sure there's like a th I'm pretty sure there's like threads on like the metal subreddits and stuff where it's like the most difficult band names to decipher just from their logo. But anyway, um, I lately, well, okay, I feel like I can't say what I've been jamming to lately because that will kind of spoil one of the albums that I actually want to talk about. So. Would it be all right if we just kind of dove into the music side of things and I'll just drop the albums that I've been jamming to lately as we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. I, I don't just want I don't just want to drop the album now without any background, you know? Yeah, no, let's uh, um, let's, let's get into it. OK, OK. So Viking metal for anyone who is unfamiliar with the heavy metal scene, the world of heavy metal, especially Scandinavian metal, which is most good metal, let's be honest. Um, the term Viking metal might be kind of foreign and weird, and it might be hard to believe that Vikings and Viking history and mythology has such a huge influence on uh, 
on the heavy metal world as a whole. But uh, Viking metal actually is a very broad and very all-encompassing term, and it encompasses a surprising amount of bands that range from uh, black metal to death metal to just progressive metal to standard heavy metal, folk metal, um, you know, pretty much every every standard genre of metal can have something to contribute to the Viking metal uh, genre. But see, that's where it gets tricky is that when we talk about Viking metal, we can't lay down any specific like, um, you know, like there's no specific like characteristics that are totally unique to Viking metal. It's more so just a term that has been used to describe uh, bands of any metal genre that lean towards Viking motifs um, in their lyrics and in their image um, so Viking metal by and large, uh, originated in the nineties, or at least that was when people started using the term Viking metal and it initially related to an offshoot. Well, not really an offshoot, more of like, I don't know what offshoot. Yeah. Maybe it was an offshoot, kind of an offshoot of the black metal scene. Um, Bredo, I don't know if you're t super familiar with the Scandinavian black metal world. And in all honesty, I'm not super familiar with it either. But uh, honestly, I'm not. But, Viking metal for me is something that is pretty new. So listening to okay. some of these bands you told me to check out, it was it was a fresh experience. <laughs> okay. Well, Viking metal may be new to you, but it is not new to the world. Um, I could make a joke there about like <laughs> metal, like Vikings using metal, like swords and stuff i don't know anyway i'm not gonna, <laughs> i'm not gonna try um yeah so viking metal initially applied to in a few offshoots of the black metal scene so black metal uh i am probably gonna piss off a lot of people with the way that i describe black metal because honestly i'm not super familiar with it i've listened to enough of it that i understand what it is and i know what it sounds like kind of but i don't know a lot about it in all honesty it kind of creeps me out and i don't really want a lot to do with it but i respect it from a distance um so black metal by and large is the metal that gives a lot of other metal genres a bad rap um black metal leans towards satanic imagery um satanic themes uh outright declarations of you know satanic messages um Brett, are you familiar with the whole Varg Vik? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Vikernes? Vikernes? Something like that? Oh, dude, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay, but do you know who I'm talking about? Varg? I think people just call him Varg. I think I more or less uh, know who you're talking about, but I yeah. could have the wrong idea. So image Varg, in my head. Varg is the guy who burned the church. Okay. Um, Varg, <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, was a, he was that guy. <laughs> um, so Varg was. Oh, this is straying a little bit from Viking metal, but just to give in give an idea of what black metal is all about. Um, black metal originates out of some um, kind of far right nationalist sympathies. And I will just put a disclaimer. This is not at all true of all black metal bands, um, like all genres. You know, black metal is a pretty broad thing, and I'm not saying that they're all neo-Nazis. I'm sure a lot of them are really cool guys. But um, there has been a definite white supremacist, far-right, um, neo-Nazi-ish kind of motif that has been noticeable throughout the history of black metal. And uh, one of the more infamous 
moments in black metal history was when a black metal musician who I believe he just goes by Varg. That's his first name, V-A-R-G. Um, Varg found a very, very old medieval wooden church somewhere in the Norwegian wilderness. And he went in the middle of the night and he burned it down. Um, because, again, well, and it's interesting because in, like in the Western world, white supremacy is often associated with, you know, traditional Christianity, as horrific as that is. But uh, for these guys, white supremacy relates back to their Viking ancestry and their Norse ancestry. And it relates back to this idea that the Christians came to Nor or to Scandinavia in the Middle Ages and forced everyone to convert to Christianity and killed their culture and, you know, did all sorts of bad stuff. And as a statement of rebellion against this Christianity, which killed the traditional Norse culture, uh, you know, guys like Varg could go and do things like set churches on fire. So, and I believe he actually took a picture of the church while it was burning and used it as an album cover. That's actually kind of, I think that's pretty metal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he like, I can't support burning churches, but like, well, I'm not saying like, go burn a church, but like, it's pretty metal. <laughs> it is pretty metal. I can't deny that. Um, I guess it just shows how not metal I really am when you start picking me <laughs> apart. Um, but yeah, so that, that is what, that's the world of black metal. It's very, and again, they're not all neo-Nazis. That's a very, you know, like I'm well aware that there's a lot of really cool black metal musicians out there that, you know, don't want to burn churches and stuff. But anyway, that's, the, that's a more extreme case of what the world of black metal can produce. Uh, so Viking metal begins with a band called Bathory. And I really hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but I believe they actually took their name from uh, some english serial killer from like hundreds of years ago whose name was like elizabeth bathory or something like that but anyway the band bathory initially releases a couple pretty traditional black metal albums with you know satanic themes and uh you know anti-christian themes and all that good stuff and then eventually I don't know exactly, again, I'm not super familiar with the world of black metal, so I don't know what exactly prompted this change, but they released this album uh, in 1990, and it's called Hammerheart. And Hammerheart is absolutely full of Norse mythology and Viking history and Viking imagery. Uh, Bredo, did you actually get a chance to listen to it? Because I know... I know I put it like in our notes for this episode and like I had never listened to it either. So I just listened to some clips of it, but I don't know if you got that's, a chance to. That's the one album that I didn't listen to because I just went on mm. Apple Music, shout out Apple Music, but uh, just to go and download some of those albums and that's yeah, the yeah. one that I couldn't find. Okay. So. Yeah, no worries. Well, I, 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 uh, I went ahead and listened to a little bit of it and I mean... It's kind of what you would expect from 1990s black metal. Like it just kind of sounds like it was recorded on a broken phonograph in the middle of the Norwegian <laughs> wilderness as as I phrased it in an earlier episode um but no you can like there's definite there's very very obvious Viking themes throughout this album um the album cover I forget what it looks like I'm just gonna pull it up right now yeah so the album artwork um it's kind of blurry I have a low-res image of it here but it's it basically it's a some 
drawing of a bunch of Viking warriors, obviously in the middle of battle of some sort. Um, anyway, so this album was fairly essential in bringing Vikings and Viking themes to the forefront of the metal world. Um, that was in 1990. Since then, the world of metal, as all genres do, has evolved a whole bunch, and Viking influences have shot out in every which direction. So this brings me to the three bands that we're specifically going to be talking about today. And I chose these bands because I feel like they represent kind of the full spectrum, along with Bathory, they kind of represent the full spectrum of what Viking themes and Viking imagery looks like in metal as it's known today. Um, so, with that in mind, I can finally answer that initial question of what I've been jamming to lately. So, what I've been jamming to lately is an album that was just released, I believe, in March. Um, and it's by a band called... I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly. I'm just going to say that they're called Tyr. T-Y-R. Um, I've heard them pronounce it more like Tuir or like tier or you know tire or i don't know i think it's tier i'm just gonna pronounce it tier um but tier is named after a norse i believe it was the norse god of justice his name was tier he was probably like brother of thor or something like that but um yeah so they're named after this norse god of justice tier and uh they are not actually that heavy well until this album that is they've not been that heavy of a band they're definitely heavy metal but like i've heard them classified as progressive metal um or just traditional heavy metal uh and as far as i know i could be wrong but as far as i know this is the first album that they've ever used any harsh vocals on okay um prior to this they've used entirely clean vocals um it's very their music is very melodic it's not super heavy um, but it's ap basically all of their music is full of Viking mythology, Viking history, Viking images. Um, so yeah, they released this album called Hell, and that's not Hell in the Western sense as in H-E-L-L, -L, it's just Hell like H-E-L, which is the Norse mythology version, which, so, you know, it's not the traditional, you know, little men with horns and lakes of fire kind of Hell. Um... But the cool thing about this band here is that they are from a group of islands, which is, I believe it's just north of Scotland, and it's called the Faroe Islands, F-A-R-O-E. And honestly, the Faroe Islands are like pretty high up on my bucket list of countries to go to. Um, they're basically like a less mainstream version of Iceland. Uh, <laughs> they, the Faroe Islands, it's an overseas... I think it's like an overseas dependency of Denmark. So they were, for, they're, they're like volcanic islands. So I don't think they had any like indigenous inhabitants, but they were kind of discovered and inhabited by Vikings from Denmark um, during the Viking age. And they are still, I think, under control of the Danish government. So that is where Tyr is from, uh, which I think is pretty sick. And they speak uh, in some of their songs, they, uh, they sing in their traditional language, which is Faroese, 
and it is a sick sounding language. I don't know if you heard any of it on their newest album, but it's honestly one of the coolest sounding languages I've ever heard. I can only imagine being a poor little Englishman being raided by a bunch of men who were a foot taller than you and spoke like that. It would be absolutely blood curdling. But anyway, I, I couldn't even imagine just being even like in a show, like in a crowd and just hearing like just hearing that that would kind of be terrifying because at times oh, yeah. it was kind of chanty and it was one of yeah. like it was like listen to it it was really cool but also yeah it can be terrifying it's, it's eerie right it like is. it's it kind really of is. um yeah no it's cool and uh don't want to brag but the front man of tear has had a few interactions on instagram with me over the years oh of That's course cool. he did <laughs> uh, once i i have a I seem to have a knack for contacting metal musicians over social media, but uh, a couple of times I've commented on his Instagram posts and he's responded, and that's been it's been really cool. I think his name's Harry. I think H E R I. Okay. Cool guy. Cool guy. Um. Yeah. So that's Tear. That's one of the bands we'll be talking about. Um. Another band that we'll be talking about. Most people who have put in the time to listen to our podcast, I feel like we'll have heard of them. Uh, Amon Amarth, um, are oddly enough named after, or their name is a Tolkien reference. Um, did you, did you know that, Brito? Did you look into that? <laughs> no, I, I had no clue, but that okay, was actually yeah. sick. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Amon Amarth is, uh, basically in the black, in like Tolkien's black tongue, like the language of Mordor. Okay. That's the, that's the name for Mount Doom. Oh, is Amon Amarth. So that's where they get their name. Uh, but, and they do have... They do have some Tolkien references in some of their songs, I believe so, in some of their earlier stuff. But um, their their music, again, is largely dominated by Viking lyrics and Viking history and mythology. Um, they, though, in contrast to Tear, are uh, considered to be a melodic death metal band. So very, very melodic, obviously, melodic death metal, but uh, much heavier than Tear. Very low growls used. I don't think i've ever heard clean vocals from them um they're i think probably their most popular song is twilight of the thunder god which is the most badass song title i've ever heard in my life um i once wrote um i i wrote a blog post i don't think i ever posted it though but i wrote a blog post arguing that twilight of the thunder god would be friedrich nietzsche's favorite (laughs) song if he would have been around to hear it (laughs) i love that so much (laughs) yeah (laughs) um because you know nietzsche loved norse mythology he loved crazy music you know it was right up his alley oh totally Uh, um anyway so yeah twilight of the thunder god six song um yeah, they're a really cool band, and they're very popular, uh, very influential in bringing Viking imagery to the forefront of the of the death metal scene. And then the third band that I want to talk about. Now, this band, I'm I'm being a bit generous by applying the term Viking metal to this band for a few reasons, but I thought that they'd be very important to talk about, and I'll get more into that in a minute. But this band is called Teresis, T-U-R-I-S-A-S. And they've also been around since the 90s. Um, And they are considered to be a folk metal band generally. So uh, a mix of clean vocals and harsh vocals, pretty heavy music, but also a lot of use of folk instruments. They have violin solos. They have like, they use like full string sections in their recordings, lots of like horns and... And they actually have a really cool image. Like 
when they perform they just like cover themselves in red and black war paint and they wear like they wear like leather armor and you know all sorts of spikes and chains and stuff they they look pretty intimidating they're pretty cool now i'm being generous in calling them viking metal for a couple reasons one is that they're actually from finland and any viking enthusiast worth their salt will know that contrary to some popular belief finland is not a scandinavian country and the vikings themselves never came from what is now finland they had some interactions with the uh, i forget what they called them back then obviously finland is a fairly modern country but um anyway but the vikings themselves never came from finland so i am being a bit generous in applying the term viking metal to teresis when normally it's only applied to bands actually from scandinavia with actual you know viking cultural influence but uh i thought that teresis would be really important to talk about because they did this really cool thing that i wish more metal bands would do where they basically released a bunch of concept albums that tell one continuous story and Bredo, i don't think i actually told you this maybe i should have told you this <laughs> before i told you to listen to them because this would have enhanced the experience but um they yeah they have yeah they have a couple albums that tell a continuous story and that story is of a group of viking explorers that venture down south into what is now eastern europe like ukraine and you know russia and they end up in uh constantinople which was then the oh. capital of the byzantine which was then the capital of the byzantine empire so there's and then in when they're in Constantinople, oh well no now i can't really i can't really get into this yet because this i want to save some of this for like the actual viking history segment of the episode okay but um yeah that's why i wanted to include teresis is because they themselves might not totally be considered a viking metal band but their albums do actually tell some really solid and like fairly historically plausible viking history so i thought that they'd be a good musical illustration for what we want to talk about but i've been talking for a really long time at this point so bretto why don't you tell me what you thought because i know this was your first time listening to most of these bands so like what what has your initial impression been as sort of a, a newcomer so i i had the experience of listening to tear in the gym so when mm. I first originally that, started, that must have that must have been effective. <laughs> Honestly, it was, but it started out as, "What the hell am I listening to? <laughs> Why am I listening to this?" <laughs> and what what album what album did you start with? I'm curious. Start, was it their new one? I started with Hell, and so okay. it, honestly, that was a bad place to start. You know what? It was the first couple songs being longer. It took me a little bit to get into it. But as yeah. the album went on, I got more into it, and it was fantastic to work out to. And it made okay. me want to just, like, have a broadsword with me and, like, even yeah. go on an adventure. It kind of it felt reminiscent of wanting to go, like, on a just some kind of journey. It felt very um, – it gave that Lord of the Rings kind of feel, like a band of brothers kind of going off. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, it turned out to just be – really fun and by the end of it i was like oh i enjoyed this a lot more than what i thought yeah. i was going to especially even just the songs how the stories they would tell um yeah whether it was um empire of the north or uh fire and flame uh just i don't know it was overall it turned out to be 
a really fun album for someone who doesn't listen to Viking metal and who yeah. I'm kind of very enclosed into the metal that I like to listen to that I don't yes, deviate too much. Yeah, you. That's why I'm try- <laughs> trying to expand your horizons a little bit here, son. But you know what? I've been getting a little heavier, so it's yeah. been just been trying different things. The one thing I feel like if to ever see Tear Live, you know that video you sent me of the the rowing in the pit? Oh, yeah. That, I, yeah. That, okay, that was at a Teresa show. Oh, was that, that actually? That happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, for anyone <laughs> who's listening, I feel, you know what? Let's be honest. I feel like most people who listen to our podcast are just like friends who like don't actually care that much about metal, but just like want to listen to our podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, but even then, even if you don't listen to metal, there's this video by, uh, from, I don't know, some dude at a Teresa's show. And he looks over and in the middle of the pit, there's like a row of four people just starting to row. And it's one of the funniest. Yeah, so like they're literally, Sorry. they're literally sitting down. Well, like we need to explain yeah. this thoroughly. Yeah. They're literally sitting down in the mosh pit. They're sitting in rows and they're like with their hands, they're like making the rowing motion that you would make like if you were rowing a boat. So they're like pretending to row a Viking longboat basically while they're watching Teresa's live. Anyway, go on. No, it's just one of the funniest and just the coolest yeah. things to, like, if I was at a show like that, I would definitely want that to happen, and I would definitely join in because I think it would just oh, be yeah. the coolest thing. It adds to the experience. So I, at this point, am going to uh, drop a bit of a bomb. Okay. Actually, I'm going to drop a couple bombs. I don't know if you guys have been able to hear, but I'm actually sitting in the middle of a thunderstorm right now. And at first, I was worried that the thunder would get picked up in the recording and that it would, you know, mess up my audio. But then I just decided to embrace it because, you know, if I'm doing a podcast about Vikings and there's thunder in the background, clearly that means that Thor himself has blessed the episode and uh, we're, we're clear to go ahead. So anyway, if you hear some rumbling in the background, that's why. Um, second thing I'm going to say is that just this afternoon... I had the privilege of going to the Royal Alberta Museum here in Edmonton, and uh, I and r- there right now they have a huge Vikings exhibit, and I'm actually shocked that I didn't know about it. But literally this mo- literally this morning, uh, while I was kind of on my laptop preparing for this episode, I just was reading about Viking history, and I saw this advertisement, and it was like, "Come experience," you know come experience the life of the Vikings at the Royal Alberta Museum. And I was like, hey, like, that's that's really close to me. So I ended up going this afternoon just because I love Vikings and I love Viking history. And I can't believe it took me this long to realize that the exhibit was here. But um, anyway, if anyone's listening who's in Edmonton and wants to check out a cool museum exhibit, it was sick. Um, I got to hold some replica Viking weapons, which was sick. And I got to see a very large replica Viking longboat. They're way bigger than I would have imagined them. Um, And I got to sit in a rowing simulator. So basically I sat on a little bench and there was this plastic rod that was like hooked up to all these cables and everything to like simulate the feel of rowing through water. And uh, there was this computer screen, like computer monitor in front of you. And uh, it showed like the prow of a longboat, and then you just sat and rode, and you watched the boat move forward as you rode. And I gotta say, uh, those Vikings must have had 
incredibly impressive forearms because that absolutely killed after only a few minutes and they i'm sure they did it for hours on end um secondly there was some little girl sitting at the front of the boat and she was doing a horrible job of rowing so i think she was slowing me down quite a bit but but i'm sure i'm sure children that young were not actually taken on boats and now i understand why they're horrible rowers um Anyway, so there's just a little plug for the Royal Alberta Museum if anyone's if anyone's in Edmonton and wants to check it out. Um, yeah, so, sorry, we were talking about rowing in the pit, and that's what made me think about rowing in the museum. So, go, go on, Bretto, what did you think of these bands? So, overall, I think I like Tear the most. They, mm-hmm. They're probably the one that, if I'm going to listen to any of the albums again, I will listen to Tear. Um, okay going on from that shortly after i started to listen to then um amon amarth um and that was the one i was into that album while i was doing some research for this episode and you know what it was okay i i enjoyed the the viking and the north mythology that was like mixed in with it but like i don't know musically if you if you enjoyed listening to tear at the gym I feel like you should enjoy Imani Marth a million times more for working out. Like, yeah. I don't know if, yeah, like, like they have this song, Guardians of Asgard. Of, of course, the most blatantly <laughs> mythological song title. But, and like, every time I listen to it, it's just got this, like, it's just got this sick guitar riff in the chorus, and it just makes me want to be lifting absolutely massive weights while I listen to it. Like, it's just so beefy and masculine sounding. <laughs> but anyway, go on. And, I don't know. It was just something I'm, I'm kind of weird with my taste in metal and it just, it didn't resonate with me. Like it was fun to listen to like Mjolnir hammer of Thor, like cool song, um, entertaining, but it was just, it was nothing that I was like blown away. Like, wow, this is, this is sick. It, it was just, it was fun to listen to more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah. See, I got like I I listened to those bands mostly in high school. So like because for me, uh, you know, my journey into heavy music started with my heavy metal obsession in high school and then it evolved into metalcore and then eventually to hardcore as I went through university. Um, Whereas I know for you, it was a little bit the opposite. Like you've you've started with metalcore and going into actual traditional metal is more of the adventure for you. Yeah, (laughs) but um. Yeah, so for me, like, I, like, those bands kind of defined a lot of my musical taste in high school. I I didn't have a lot of friends in high school, let's be honest. But, um, like, Teresa's especially, I, like, they have an album, uh, one of their, I think it's their second newest album. It's called Stand Up and Fight. Like, I don't even want to count the amount of times that I listened to that album in high school. Like, it was just everything that I loved. It was folk instruments, violin solos, brutal death metal growls, and Viking history all rolled into one. Like, why wouldn't I listen to that for hours on end, you know? Um, so transitioning a little bit into um, actual Viking history and Viking, you know, culture, you know, a little more into the into the brain side of our episode, as we like to say, Um Teresis, as I said earlier, their their albums uh, tend to tell stories, and they released a couple concept albums um, 
you know, that tell sort of a continuous story of a group of Vikings uh, venturing down to Constantinople. And I don't know how much Teresa's you listen to, Bredo, but one of my favorite songs by them uh, is called, uh, it's, they, okay, they released an album called The Varangian Way, and they released it quite a while ago. And the last song on that album is called The Miklagard Overture. And The Miklagard Overture is the story of a group of Vikings entering into the city of Constantinople for the first time. So I'll be honest, when I first heard that, I was a stupid and ignorant high school kid. And I thought, like, that must be made up. Like, there's no way the Vikings actually went to Constantinople. But guess what, Bredo? <laughs> they went to Constantinople. The, Viking <laughs> the Vikings went to Constantinople. <laughs> and this is, like, like purely because of Teresa's. This is my favorite part of Viking history. Well, I mean, I love all Viking history, but this is my favorite part of Viking history. Just because so many people don't know about it. Like... Everyone knows, like, oh, yeah, the Vikings raided England and France and killed a bunch of priests and monks and stuff yeah. and stole gold. But for me, the coolest part of Viking history is that the Vikings ended up venturing so far south that they reached Constantinople, where they somehow ended up befriending the local emperor. And the emperor at that time... So I should back up. Um, at risk of sounding... At risk of sounding pretentious... Um, the so Constantinople at that point in time was the capital of the Byzantine Empire. So the Byzantine Empire covered basically what it would now be like Turkey and like into kind of what is now the Middle East. Um, and the way the Byzantine Empire started, to put it in the simplest of terms, is basically that uh, the Roman Empire, towards the end of its history, for many political and religious and social reasons, ended up dividing into two, pretty much dividing down the middle into the Eastern and the Western Roman Empires. And so the Byzantine Empire is essentially the Eastern Roman Empire. So basically, like, everything West, sorry, everything East of, like, Greece basically became the Byzantine Empire. So the Emperor Constantine... Um, I believe, built the city of Constantinople. Like, not with his own hands. I'm sure he had some help. Um, but basically built the city of Constantinople, and that was the capital of the Byzantine Empire. Um, so the Vikings ended up venturing down through Eastern Europe, through what is now Ukraine and Russia, and eventually reached Constantinople, where they befriended the local emperor. I'm not sure who the emperor was at the time that they got there. But basically... Um, the emperor ended up hiring a bunch of them to be mercenaries in his own army. And they formed a sort of elite group of soldiers called the Varangian Guard. So the Varang Varangian, I believe, is like another language, and it means like Northmen or something, or Norsemen, something like that. But anyway, so Teresis has this album called The Varangian Way, and... Uh, the last song, the Miklagard Overture, tells the story of um, the Vikings entering Constantinople for the first time. Because, I mean, I've never been a Viking, so I can't totally put myself in their shoes, but I can only imagine when you're used to seeing, you know, little villages and, you know, English castles and stuff like that, I can only imagine that entering the city of Constantinople would be, you know, a little bit alarming. Um but uh, that's why, like, that's why Teresa's always really appealed to me is that, like, they uh, made music that honestly, like, like, people, 
I mean, obviously, I think we prove this wrong with every episode, but people who think that, like, heavy metal is just, like, the devil's music and that's just, like, for, it's just, like, stupid and, you know, like... <laughs> like like you could not be more wrong and when you listen to a band like Teresa's who's literally writing these like classical symphonies telling stories about you know Vikings entering Constantinople like you know it's it literally like I don't know you know what I'm trying to get up right oh it's I like, know what you're trying to get at and I don't know if you actually end up listening to that album but it basically the whole album could be a movie score like it's very symphonic and I mean I'm not sure any movies are going to want to use harsh vocals but it's very symphonic and very epic sounding. Yeah. Uh, kind of sounds like Lord of the Rings soundtrack-ish, kind of. Yeah. If, um, if you like fantasy and know what fantasy music is like, that's honestly what it is. Um, oh, oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I've already kind of given a spoiler for the uh, how the last little bit of the Viking period went. But um, what do you think? I guess we should dive right into viking history at this point and start educating the masses so at least uh educating a little bit by educating i might ruin your perception of vikings maybe <laughs> just a wee bit um because the one thing i think when people think about vikings is people imagine like the big berserker who doesn't have like a lot of armor who goes in there and just like wipes out like but they all had horned helmets right bretto Unfortunately not. <laughs> ah, and that's something I'm going to get into a that little was bit. The, that was the one thing I was hoping was true, was the horned helmets. If, yeah, if that was one thing to be true. That's the part that I would want, because I think that's the coolest part. Um, yeah. But so uh, in doing some research, I came across a paper that was, um, it's multidisciplinary. Um, it was published in a journal that related to uh, military military history. Um, it was written by a, a guy named R. Skarstein uh, Kohlberg. Um, it was published in July of 2018. He, so, he sounds like a Viking expert. He, and he <laughs> is, from my little bit of reading that I did. So I kind of found a, a few things, because like, I always thought Vikings were cool, but never really knew a lot of stuff. So the Viking Age was from seven, uh, 793 to um, 1066, which I didn't know. And do you know, sorry, this is my, because I've always been a bit of a medieval history nerd. Do you know what the two big events were that marked the two sides of the Viking era? Please expand on it for our audience and oh. myself too. <laughs> well, well, okay, then I will. Um, so 793, that is when the Vikings, um, well, I guess... See, I don't know. See, this is where I'm going to get a little meta here and get like historiographical rather than just historical. But, you know, it's easy for us to look it's easy for us to look back on them hundreds of years ago and label them as the Vikings when really um, like I'm not sure that they ever actually called themselves the Vikings. Like, I don't know where that I don't know where that word actually came from. But, you know, they weren't like when they when they first started setting out on their journeys and explorations they weren't necessarily saying like okay yes today marks the beginning of the viking age so congratulations guys we're vikings now and here's what we're going to do right like it was it was it was more of a natural um it was more of a natural evolution than it may seem when you just are reading about it on wikipedia right yeah but basically the the event that historians generally use to mark the beginning of the viking age was in 793 AD and it was when the Vikings first landed in um, in a monastery on the coast of England, and the name escapes me, but I think the name was like 
Anglo-Saxon and hard to pronounce anyway, so I'd probably butcher it. <laughs> but basically, in 793 AD, a group of men, I'm not going to call them Vikings at this point because I, I don't know what they would have considered themselves to be, but a group of men from, I believe, like what, what would now be Denmark, um, got in a big-ass long wooden boat and sailed. And this is this is actually something that I learned about in the museum today. Nobody knows how the Vikings navigated. Like, there's a few there's a few theories, but nobody knows for sure how the Vikings managed to go on, like, such complicated and such long sea voyages without getting lost. So they think that <laughs> they think that the Vikings may have trained themselves so that they could taste the water and they could, like, tell by the water, like, how salty it was or how clear it was, like, whether they were getting closer or farther away from land. Or they would, um, like, they would possibly navigate, like, by the sun and the moon or by the stars. Um See, I can, if you, I can see, no, like, go ahead. no, I can just see, like, the stars and, like, the moon. Like, that makes sense, because, like, mm-hmm. like, celestial bodies, they move, and then you see, you get retrograde motion, different stuff like that. But, like, tasting the water and, like, the clarity of water, that's mental. That's utterly insane. But, like, if it, <laughs> that's, I, I probably that's just want what it I read. to be true. <laughs> that's just what I read in On the Wall of a Museum today, so... I mean, if if it's wrong, just go blame the Royal Alberta Museum, not me. No, it's it's a cool um, theory. I love it. Yeah, and so anyway, basically, in this long wooden ship, uh, literally called the long ship, uh, they a bunch of men from what is now Denmark land in uh, land on the coast of England, and they find a monastery, and they raid the monastery. They kill a bunch of monks. They steal a bunch of gold, and they realize hey, this is perfect because whoever these weird dudes are with bald heads, they don't seem to have any weapons or know how to fight. And they also seem to have a lot of gold hidden away in their, in their, you know, churches. So that became sort of a pastime for the, for the, for the Scandinavian dudes and women, actually. I believe the Vikings also used women in their raids, which is so good on them. Yeah. Shield maidens. Yeah, exactly. So um, that kind of became a pastime for them was to go to, England and raid monasteries again because the monks didn't know how to fight so it was easy to just go in and seal their gold and uh, eventually their operations expanded into France and Spain and eventually down into the Mediterranean I believe they even touched down in North Africa at a few points like it's just crazy how far away from home these guys managed to get in in a time before Google Maps (laughs) so anyway that's that first raid on a monastery happened in 793 AD so that's what historians usually use as the beginning of the Viking Age Um, the end of the Viking Age is 1066 AD because that's when the Norman conquest happened so that is when the Normans came. Well, oh, geez, I uh, my 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 inner historic my inner history major is coming out now because everything I say I realize there's like twenty more things that I should say so that <laughs> that makes sense. But um, basically, what happened? I'll try to keep this short. Was that the Vikings ended up being given a certain amount of territory on the coast of France, and that territory became known as Normandy because. I believe the word Norman literally comes from like Northmen. So that coast of that part of the coast of France became Normandy and it was ruled by Scandinavian rulers. Um, and it was, you know, pretty typical medieval feudal feudal society. Anyway, in the year 1066 AD, 
the Normans invaded England and basically conquered the entirety of England. And that's now known as the Norman Conquest. So once that happened, that drastically changed the political landscape of all of Western Europe. And at that point, the Vikings had converted to Christianity and uh, they were raiding less and they were becoming more of a standard medieval society with like, you know, kings and laws and they were becoming loyal to the Pope and stuff like that. So the Norman Conquest is generally considered to be the final straw in the Viking Age. Anyway, sorry, Bredo, I went off on a huge tangent there. So you, you go on. No, you thank you. Something. Um, so I was more going to dive into the a little bit of some myths and truths about Vikings and the concept yeah. of the berserk or the berserker. Um, right. So when you think of Vikings, I think the biggest thing is there's the dude on the battlefield with like an axe or two. He's yelling for Valhalla or something, and he's just a butcher on the battlefield and just a terrifying human being that would put the fear of God in anyone. Um, and so the there were some thoughts of how they would enter a frenzy or this rage. Um, it was an idea that was put forth by Swedish natural scientist Samuel Odman. Um, uh, with this, was, he put this idea forward in 1784, uh, and he thought by eating a mushroom called fly agaric or amanita muscaria, um, they would they would end up going into these fits or bouts of rage that made them pretty much invulnerable on the battlefield. Um, so they were just tripping on shrooms the whole time. That's what we thought, but further oh. research. So as we dive into this, oh. um, this okay. Cause I, I honestly had always bought into the, like I just heard the mushroom theory and that's what I'd bought into. That's what I thought as well. But, okay. But okay. Prove me wrong, Brett. But then it. some doctors when testing these mushrooms, um, Essentially, it acts as a depressant on the nervous system. So, if anything, it's going to cause hallucinations, uh, nausea, and anxiety. So, you're probably going to have some Vikings. <laughs> Not good qualities to have in the middle of a battle. So, you're going like... to have these Vikings probably incoherent, and they're going to just get wiped out. So, yeah, I know I'm in the middle of a shield wall right now, but I'm feeling nauseous and overly anxious. So, <laughs> which, worst combination. Um, right. So... Most likely not that. Um, so instead, there were ideas that were kind of put about that um, instead of a drug-induced fury, um, it may have been through self-suggestion resulting in a dissociative psychosis, um, which could have been a part of rituals where some some individuals linked to kind of uh, shamanistic or to other cults. Um, Interesting. So... Which, yeah, I found that really interesting and kind of which ties into the shamanistic side. Um, a lot of berserks would have uh, worn like some kind of wolf skin or like a bear skin. Um, this kind of ties back into the concept of Odin and shape-shifting as well and then having the strength and the power of a wolf or a bear. And so it's kind of interesting because even when looking at the etymology of the word... Um, of the berserk or berserker um it either would stem from bear and cirque which meant like a bear shirt that they wore these animal skins into battle or or bear as in like wearing nothing cirque as in 
just being naked into battle essentially so berserk basically means naked and crazy naked and crazy or wearing animal fur and crazy so one or the other i'm I'm not sure which theory i prefer um so there were (laughs) there were some so the the vikings were naked and crazy and the englishmen as they say were naked and afraid yes yeah and that's exactly it gotcha um there tends to be some evidence and or findings that suggest that wearing the bear skin is could be where the word berserk came from um that it was kind of like a bear cult <laughs> in a sense okay um but other ideas around the concept of these uh i'm gonna say soldiers is that they were actually a special military unit that would have went out onto the battlefield and they they could have been um mainly special units to kind of go in and clean up after the war kind of started just to finish off what uh king as they were hired as mercenaries for the byzantine empire so that's Mm. a theory that could have been so instead of just um being these crazy uh dudes on the battlefield they would just kind of go in and clean up after as the war was kind of or as the battle was slowly kind of uh winding down um so to the horned helmets, um, this is where they, although Vikings never wore horned helmets, there were horned helmets that have been linked to the Bronze Age. So these helmets okay. actually have horns on them. So there are helmets with horns, just not linked with Vikings. Um, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Because <laughs> I suppose it's possible that maybe a Viking, well, no, I guess not. I was going to say, like, who knows? Maybe the Vikings found some helmets with horns, and they were like, hey, these are cool. Let's just use these, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just use these. <laughs> um, so in this paper, the the author ends up coming to the conclusion that the concept of the berserker or the berserk would have been a few different things. Either they were elite soldiers, um, outlaws, as they would just kind of go about taking whatever they wanted, Um or they were potentially, he, he dives into it, this is a different side, but they were potentially, um, a, when they were a part of their society, they go to war, they come back, they get PTSD. And so oh. society didn't have a use for them and wouldn't necessarily take care of them. So they resorted to um, plundering and stealing because they had to find a means to survive. And so that's where oh. the idea of potentially even going kind of crazy it could have been ptsd instead of crippling they used it as an advantage that's kind of an argument that was made in a degree um but the worst part here is he so this author puts forth that berserks never actually existed they're only a part of our mythology because well that's that sucks i'm not buying that that's boring (laughs) which it sucks but it It can be realistic because we create so many stories of monsters, whether that's the Kraken or dragons or uh, headless horsemen. They stem from some portion of reality that has truth, but the truth isn't what it seems. And, you know, I can imagine, um, you know, like like records show that when the Vikings started raiding in England, you know, especially because they were raiding, they were killing monks and raiding monasteries. 
uh, rumor was going around basically that like this is the Antichrist, like this is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth and you know this is the end of the world. So I, I can only imagine that like stories circulated like oh there's these crazy demons literally sent by Satan as like the scourge of the earth, you know, like yeah. that, that could have evolved pretty easily. And uh, you know like if you if you were and this is again kind of casting a a modern image of what the vikings were onto the past but like i feel like if you were an english monk i feel like the vikings presented to put it in the simplest possible terms sort of a culture shock you know like like you've been spending your whole yeah. life in this peaceful religious order like you just kind of do gregorian well i don't know did they have gregorian chants back then or am i i don't know you did some chants you said prayers you read books like life was overly kind of peaceful and then all of a sudden these wild men that like are bigger than any men you've ever seen before you know they've probably got long unkempt hair and beards like you know, I can only imagine, especially within the medieval worldview, that a lot of stories would evolve out of that. You'd be like, oh, yeah, like these crazy beasts from the north are attacking us and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, speaking of animals, though, uh, you had said something to me about or was it me who said something to you anyway about the whole of uh, Vikings using animal bones in their weapons? Did you? So Look into that any further. I tried to find information on um, Vikings and the weapons that they used. Um, okay. I couldn't actually find anything on bones being used in the weapon-making process. Um, okay. Even how the steel that was used, it came back to more of a societal thing, that if you had a sword, it was um, a sign of prestige and power in society. Right, because... Another thing that I learned at the mu at the museum today was that the Vikings didn't actually really like to use swords in battle. Yeah. Like they usually only carried swords sort of as a status symbol. Yes. Yeah, because their main their go to weapons would have been pole arms, shields, um, axes, um, mm -hmm. anything like that. Just because swords were so hard to come by, because there's so much metal that goes into them, um, that they were mainly just used as like even a sign of like a family crest. So yeah, a sword would be passed down from father to son. And then as time went on, the hilts would be changed out more than anything to kind of, sh um, be more decorative of the time they were in. Um, okay. but yeah, it was more of just a status symbol. And there were some interesting things of like, um, neutron, neutron, something, some stuff that I had no clue. And I did not have the brain space to, really read up on but uh it gets it gets pretty interesting but swords and how they were made they were you they were made and used sparingly mainly because they were just a status symbol more than anything so right. and that i think like if i'm um if i'm not wrong i think the uh i think one of the reasons why the vikings were kind of weird to the the like their enemies like the englishmen um, was that they used like hammers and axes in battle and the English were like, what are these guys doing? Like they they had never fought against that before. Right? Yeah. And which um, like, let's be real. As, like if you're so used to using a sword as a weapon, seeing a hammer and axe, like 
it's barbaric. It would be terrifying. It, it's terrifying yeah. and barbaric. Cause even me, even somebody like me who has never even been close to being in hand-to-hand combat, I would rather go up against a guy with a sword than a guy with a hammer or an axe. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why. There's just a little more familiarity in fighting against someone with a sword. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, and so, actually, it's good that we're on this topic because I did a little reading on um, actual Viking combat styles because... Um, Actually, we should mention this on, of course, on History Channel right now, there is the show Vikings and it's been running for several seasons. And uh, if anyone's listening who watches the show Vikings, I've watched quite a bit of it myself. And uh, I'm not going to say that it's either historically accurate or historically inaccurate because that's those are pretty shallow definitions. But basically... Uh, Bredo, have you ever watched it, or am I just... No, I watched uh, I watched a few seasons. I actually want to rewatch it, because it okay. looks like it got really interesting again, so I need to yeah. jump back on that train. Yeah, so basically, like, based on all of my reading, um, what they're trying to do with the story on that show is they're trying to tell the story of the Viking expansion, but they're compressing it into a much smaller time frame than it actually would have taken place yeah. in. Yeah. So, for example, they have, like, or they have Ragnar Lothbrok. Um, nobody's really sure if Ragnar Lothbrok was a real guy or not, or if he was a combination of different people. But Ragnar Lothbrok is a real legendary Viking figure. Um, and in real life, Ragnar Lothbrok is said to have had a brother named Rollo. Now, in... This is going to be a spoiler alert for anybody who's not caught up on Vikings. But in the show... Uh, Rollo, Ragnar's brother, ends up becoming the Duke of Normandy, which I was talking about earlier. So in real life, uh, there was a Rollo who was the Duke of Normandy, but that was actually a completely different Rollo than the Rollo who was brothers with Ragnar Lothbrok. So that's kind of what they're doing in the show, is that they're trying to tell the story of the Viking expansion and the Viking Age, but they're compressing it into a much uh, smaller and much easier time frame. Um Anyway, but the reason I brought that show up is because uh, in the show, they very frequently are shown fighting in a shield wall. You know, all the men, because, you know, the Vikings were known for their big round wooden shields. And so in the show, quite often when they go into battle, you know, they assemble their shields into one big wall and then they essentially charge into the enemy with their shields all together. And, you know, Um, so I was curious as to whether or not that was legit, whether or not they actually did that. And... uh, it seems that the shield wall actually was used by several northern European cultures. Um, maybe not to the extent that it's shown on the show, like it may not have been a pivotal strategy, but uh, essentially if you had if you had conflict between two northern European groups uh, in the early Middle Ages, essentially what it could turn into is both sides just have their shields pressed together into a wall and they're essentially just pushing against each other like a big... Uh, I'm not, I don't know any sports terminology, but like in football, when the linebackers all just ram into each other and push on each other, that's essentially what these battles could sometimes evolve into. And uh, then, of course, while you're pushing on the enemy with your shield, you're trying to get your sword or your spear uh, in between the shields and, you know, try to cut someone's throat or something. So um, I think that's another reason why uh, generally swords weren't actually favored in battle is that they would prefer to use shorter weapons, like shorter knives or smaller axes that could get into those small spaces. Because, like, if you had, like, a two-handed broadsword... Mind you, they probably never had two-handed broadswords at all. (laughs) But, you know, like, if you had a huge sword, like, it would be a lot more difficult to maneuver in those tiny spaces when you're just, you know, crushed up against two different shields. 
Um, you know, so I think that's one reason why they preferred to use smaller knives and axes. Um, the other interesting thing that I was reading is that the Vikings would often begin a battle by uh, firing their bows at the enemy. However, that was a little bit iffy because that wasn't considered to be super honorable. Yeah. Um, if you were fighting with a longbow because you weren't actually really you weren't actually fighting your opponent. You were just killing them from a distance. And it was a little bit it was a little bit like it was considered to be cheating. Right. Because in uh, in the Viking worldview and, you know, as as a philosopher, um, as someone who studies, you know, theology and religion and philosophy, I have a, a little bit of my own theory about the berserkers. And I don't know if this is totally I don't know if this is going to stand up to any scrutiny, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. You know, the Viking culture and the Viking mythology uh, emphasized, like, the how honorable it was to die in battle and how that was the best possible way to die was by fighting in a battle. And their, uh, as far as we know, their image of the afterlife was essentially that if you were a warrior and you died honorably in battle, you were then transported to Valhalla, where you would spend, you know spend the foreseeable future uh basically drinking and fighting and partying with with uh with odin and with all the legendary vikings of days gone by so i wonder too if maybe there just wasn't such a mentality amongst the vikings where like they almost wanted to die in battle that they just went in there with no fear and just you know balls to the wall swinging axes around bashing their shields into the enemy's faces and just you know, going a lot harder than the other cultures probably did. You know what, um, though? But... I think there's actually a lot of merit to that just because of how you see... Um, I don't want to get, like, too political or get too crazy, but when you looked at, like, a couple years ago with um, ISIS and how yeah. their whole motivation is for what they get in the afterlife uh, for a lot yeah. of it. So... I can see that as being a huge motivation because if that's something you truly believe in, why would you use a longbow when you, if you're going to die, you die in combat in hand to hand combat or just like by a sword or something and you get carried up by a Valkyrie to Valhalla, you know, like yeah. why, why wouldn't you want that? So why not I mean, be if fearless? You're, if it'd be a lot better to be in Valhalla than to be on earth. So you might as well die and go there, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's actually, there's a really interesting scene in the show Vikings where, uh, some of the English soldiers who have been defeated by the Vikings, they return to their King and they say like, I, and the one soldier says like, I don't know how to fight against these men. They fight as if they like have no fear of death. Right. And of course, these are supposedly Christians that are saying this. So the king just looks at the soldier and he's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you shouldn't have any fear <laughs> of death either, right? So, um, yeah, no, no, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I think the implication on the show was that, you know, the Viking mythology was a little more ingrained in them than perhaps the Christian image of dying and going to heaven. But anyway. I, I think you can dive into a couple different areas on that topic, and that would be yeah. a topic for another day, if anything. Yeah, because, I mean, I I feel like I could do an entire podcast just on the Vikings, like, with several episodes. <laughs> um, I want to drop a, a couple more little cool Viking history tidbits, and then we should probably wrap up. Absolutely. Um, again, going back to that Teresa's album, 
um, the, uh, which album was it? I believe it was Stand Up and Fight. Um, again, one of the albums that kind of tells the story of some Viking exploration into the Byzantine Empire. Um, this, I, I wasn't able to find anywhere where the actual members of Teresa's confirm this. So to a certain extent, this is just my own speculation, but I also have like, like there's too much evidence for this to just be a coincidence. Um, but I am fairly certain that, uh, in a real Viking leader by the name of, oh, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Harold Hardrada, um, Harold Hardrada, I believe that he was actually the inspiration for some of the for some of Teresa's material. Uh, and I just I was reading about his life on Wikipedia and I just feel like he's such a badass example of the kind of stuff that the Vikings did did with their lives uh, that I felt he was too good to not share. But basically Harold Hardrada, um, I believe, of course, he was initially from, born somewhere in Scandinavia and uh see this is a bit confusing because the vikings didn't really have uh royalty like other european cultures did like it was more so like if you were the strongest man around then you could challenge the king and become the new king right so there wasn't really a as much like familial succession but um i believe harold hardrada was born into sort of a noble family and uh he ended up venturing quite far south uh and ended up as a member of the varangian guard uh, served as a bodyguard to the Byzantine em emperor. Uh, I'm not sure who the emperor was at that point. But then, see, in in Teresa's album, Stand Up and Fight, and uh, for, for legal reasons, I can't just read all the lyrics as much as I would like to. Um, there's a song, uh, it's the sixth song on the album, and it's called The Great Escape. And uh, the the whole song is basically a dialogue between this one Viking who we have kind of followed throughout the entire album and uh, one of his friends. And his friend is based... And so, like, when the song begins, they're in Constantinople serving on the Varangian Guard. And so uh, his friend basically comes up to the main character of the story and is like, hey, you know, there's political unrest going on back home in Norway right now. Uh, you could you could go home and claim the throne for yourself. And so then the main character of the story, who I believe is Harold Hardrada, even though because his story li lines up perfectly with the story told in the album, um, he goes and tells the emperor that he needs to go back home. And the emperor says uh, basically that he's not allowed to leave, that he's been hired as a mercenary and that he needs to fulfill his contract. And so... Basically, the song then tells the story of how this main character ends up escaping in the middle of the night and goes back home to to Norway and see uh, Harold Hardrada did pretty much the exact same thing, although I'm not sure I'm not sure what the politics were, but he uh, ended up serving on the Varangian Guard. Um, so like like think about this. Think about in like the 10th century AD, you're born in Norway and you end up venturing into Constantinople like that's probably quite a bit farther than most people in that day and age ever ventured in their entire lives. So already, you know, that's a pretty epic life as far as I'm concerned. But then while he's in, uh, while he's in Constantinople, essentially word reaches him. And this is historical fact. Now this isn't on the album. 
um, word reaches him that there is political unrest back home and basically his nephew is on the throne. And but I guess there was some unrest and people weren't necessarily pleased with this nephew's reign. So Harold goes back home and uh, basically challenges his nephew because, again, the Vikings were a culture that really valued strength and skill in battle. So I believe it was their custom that basically anyone could challenge the king to combat. And it was considered dishonorable for the king to decline. But basically, if you beat the king in hand-to-hand combat, then you could be the new king. So Harold basically goes home and challenges and challenges his nephew and uh, his nephew decides that he doesn't really want to fight with his uncle. And so he proposes a bit of an alliance with his uncle where they basically share the throne and rule together. And so his uncle accepts. And a few years later, his nephew dies and Harold ends <laughs> up being the ends up being the king anyway. So that is the story that I believe is being told on this Teresa's album, Stand Up and Fight. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, focus on Teresa's as one of our bands today. But, um, yeah, I just felt the need to share that story because I, of course, I've read a lot about some legendary Viking figures, but, uh, to me, that story sums up what the Viking age represented. Like it was this, um, it was this completely random and unexpected sudden explosion of exploration from Scandinavia as far south as Northern Africa, which in that day and age, you know, you might as well be entering into another planet. And uh, so not only did Harold fulfill that whole journey, which was probably one of the longest journeys any Viking ever could have undertaken, uh, but then he ended up making the same journey back home and challenging his nephew to hand-to-hand combat and long story short ends up on the throne so to me that basically sums up what the viking age was all about in in one life um that took way longer to tell than i was expecting (laughs) but i just felt like that story was too good not to share because like i said that to me is what the viking age is all about no that was awesome i appreciate that and also his his I believe his nephew's name was spelled C N U T like Canute, which I think is like a hilarious name. <laughs> it's so unnecessarily difficult to pronounce. Anyway, cannot. <laughs> Can you? No, I cannot. <laughs> that was. <laughs> well, that sucked. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, yeah. So there you go. Well, that's what I got. That's what I got about the Vikings. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode on Vikings and Viking metal. Uh, We'll see you already in the next episode. No, 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 Bredo. Oh, okay. We will see. We will see them in Valhalla. (laughs) We will see them in Valhalla. (laughs) All right. We'll see you in Valhalla. This is the Brain Mosh Podcast signing off.